Okay, everybody, thank you for clicking on the link and joining us on the Learning Value Podcast. I'm John Howe, with me is Laura Archers, as always, and today our guest is Mr. Paul McCarthy, who is developing a concept about the fire leader. I'm really excited about this because I'm currently working on a contract right now where some clients want to do something illegal, and I've told them they can't, so I'm probably going to get fired on Monday. So it certainly seems like the timing is right for this. Hey, Laura, over to you. (laughs) Well, that's great context, John. I am so curious. You know, there's like a thousand ways that this conversation can go, but one of them is that I could dig in there because that's just a place of curiosity. We're really happy to have you, Paul, and really grateful to be able to share you with our listeners. I'm not going to pretend that I know all of the context related to what you're presenting today. And actually, you know, John and I were talking before we got started in this podcast that we're just really like Friday free for all is the theme. And so we're just going to dig in with curiosity because that's one of the best ways to learn. And so we're going to be learning um, from you and with you today. And I'm really excited about that. So thank you so much for being here. For those of you that are listening and to Paul yourself, you know, I feel like Paul, you've probably got an interesting story that led to this. Like there's some sort of background that I'm just super curious about. And I wonder if you'd be willing to just unpack a little bit of how did you get to this place of having the fired leader be the thing that you're up to in your life? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And uh, it's great to be here as well. Thanks, Laura. And thanks, John. Um, Let me just start out by saying it's certainly not something that I plan to do. And uh, I have no, I had no inclination to be this kind of leader. Um, Mm -hmm. And I wanted to fit in, you know, and I think in conversations that we both might have had off offline, you know, I always wanted to be that leader that, you know, um, did the, did the job, ticked the box, got the learning and development pathway under my belt and, and really just fitted in. And I realized that I couldn't, and I couldn't fit in. So, you know, what do I mean by that? I, you know, I, I've been fired from four executive leadership roles in my career, which spans over 25 years. And the reason that I'd been fired is because I, I didn't know at the time, but I'd highlighted the hypocrisy and dysfunction and toxicity of leadership cultures in the organizations that I'd worked in and and that manifests itself in very extreme ways sometimes with you know bosses shouting at people or excluding them or having closed doors meetings before the meetings but then in other subtle very nuanced ways where you suddenly you know fall out of favor because you don't get the project that you were earmarked for or and the reason you didn't get the project was because you basically spoke up at a meeting and challenged the viewpoints of the senior person in the room, which, you know, when you're in my position as a leader, I was hired to upset the apple cart, challenge the status quo, provide dissenting perspectives as Adam Grant and his work with originals talks about, we, we want leaders that have dissenting perspectives. But then I was, I would come to find out that when I actually displayed those perspectives and challenged the status quo, it wasn't welcome. And what I, I landed on un, unintentionally were, were this concept of what I called ego-based leadership, landmines. Mm-hmm. And so I had upset someone and my card was marked. And far from going through, you know, an expensive and time-consuming leadership identification and recruitment process to then get on board and display the qualities that I displayed in the process for being identified, those qualities quickly became 
my downfall um, because I, through expression of those qualities, was highlighting a broken system. Mm. And so my, my story then got to the point, you know, I, I, and I think with offline conversations we've had, I mean, I've, you know, I've questioned whether I was the common denominator. And of course I was because my style of leadership uh, seemed to be a little bit more progressive and ahead of its time. And yet the honesty, transparency, vulnerability uh, challenge of my leadership style highlighted other things in a fragile stroke broken system that others weren't willing to address. So, you know, I got curious about all that, Laura, and I started because part of my role in consulting was was and is to do leadership development for clients and mm-hmm. to stay on top of the trends and, and see what's coming for the future of leadership and the future of work. And I started to realize that we have some gaps in the way that we're developing future leaders for what I call future disruption. And, I, and I, all of a sudden this hypothesis formed, which was what if we're firing the very top talent that we need to navigate us through more ongoing disruption? And as I mentioned to everyone I speak to, this hypothesis and this work that I've started in the fired leader began before COVID, before, before this major disruptive force that we have in play now. And I've worked on the future leadership and the future work for, for many years. And I've stood by and watched how people come out with different theories and practices. And here's what we need for leadership in the future, blah, blah, blah. And, and much of it is academic, you know, uh, not very tried and tested. And all of a sudden I come along with this idea and I think I'm curious about this and my curiosity was to say how do these five qualities that I believe I've been fired for which I've since corroborated and, and, and found out that that was the case how do they feature in the future learning and development pathways for leaders do they and how and then and all that started to highlight to me again the broken system as well as the fact that leadership development in itself is largely ineffective so it's a long-winded answer for that question, but it's, it's something that it never get, I never get tired of, of, of these conversations because it's something that is now driving me, and it's, it's more of a quest for me um, to, to bring this out to the world. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, it's fascinating that you got to, to this place, and um, it's, it's, well, I'm sure it is one of those things when you get fired, you learn something a little, a little bit, then you get fired again, you learn something a little bit more, and you get fired again, and hopefully you learn something more to the point where you actually build some kind of a framework to attach your learnings to. I really appreciate the path that you've been on. Um, you know, a couple things this struck me when you were talking about that, and one of the things that really struck me is organizations have values, and in reality, they hire people based on these values and missions and everything like that, too. And they hired you thinking, oh, we're going to get this guy to come and demonstrate our values of openness and honesty and challenging authority and whatever they might be. And then when you got into the job, they're like, oh, we didn't really want that. We don't want to live our values. Our values are just for show. I've experienced that a couple of times myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I feel a lot of resonance. I, I mean, I guess there's like a a slight awareness of an ego stroking that might have happened as you were speaking. Cause I was like, people don't, and I think this is also true for John, people don't typically bring me into contract because they want the same old, same old. And mm-hmm. even if they did bring me into contract for that, that's never what they get. Like I'm pretty upfront about you're, you're not going to get a yes person out of me. Like I cannot be that person and I won't be that person. So this is what you're, hiring for and are we clear and like that's a weekly message typically to my leaders in the first three months and I 
I really resonated with it that maybe, you know, that's part of my role is to be a disruptor. So there was a little bit of my ego getting stroked, but then there was also the recognition. I'm like, yeah. So if there's qualities though, how am I showing up in those qualities? So it made me curious about what those qualities are of the fired leader and how were they sourced? Yeah. Th- that's what's running around. Does that, is that where your attention is to John or do you have a different question that well, you wanted to ask? No, actually I would, I would like to explore what the qualities of the fired leader are. Um, you know, one of the things that, uh, that Paul, you mentioned was about exposing hypocrisy and it's mm. something that I have done in organizations and even when you're on the right side of things and you are doing everything correctly and you're living the values and things like that, very quickly you're gone from the organization. I mean, I've come in, I've said this thing, I've spoken honestly to authority, I'm telling the truth to power, I'm exposing things that are gone wrong. Oh, what's that? My contract won't be renewed because I spoke up? Okay. (laughs) It's Mm. happened to me more than once. (laughs) And and then there's a fear of of actually being associated with someone who is a disruptor and a challenger. And yet, you know, I've had personal stories where that's been the case. And, you know, I've been like the the star performer in certain organizations. And then all of a sudden I'm on the wrong side of the train tracks Mm -hmm. and I'm treated as a pariah. In fact, one of my posts, I, I, you know, I sent out and I said something like, you know, when, when you're ahead of your time and you're speaking, you're speaking in a way that nobody's, used to you're considered a pariah but when someone and people start to adopt what you're you're interested in you become a game changer and the only the only difference is that i think we release that fear and we, we're open to this uh, a lot more but but it you know your, your point laura uh, is a good one in terms of you know this experience that i had how did it then learn uh, take me along the path to develop a framework mm-hmm. um and these qualities and 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 how did these qualities come about? And, and, I, and I write about this in my, in my book quite extensively, but for, for the listeners, just to kind of summarize that and as a lead into the framework that I developed is, I, you know, I sat, sat around and, and started to, you know, as a traditional, typical consultant, just reflected on my experiences and, and of being fired. And I, I would recall examples of where I'd been fired, like what, what, what had happened in, in the run up to it. And, you know, was I at a meeting where I challenged the the prevailing opinion of the meeting um, because it was the right thing to do and it it really annoyed someone else? Was that an example, for instance? And so, you know, I I pieced together hundreds of examples. I mean, hundreds of examples. And I, I then started to look for the common denominators of these examples. And all of a sudden I became I started thinking of words. And, and I, I looked at words and, and I think, you know, it was like innovator, accountability, um, you know, disruptor. And there were, there were like five or six words. Then I started to look for the synonyms of those words. And by the way, you know, if you look for a synonym of, of the word accountability, there are hundreds. You know, and there were literally hundreds of synonyms for all of these five or six things that I uh, identified from the common from these examples. And then all of a sudden fired came out to me so um innovation was fresh thinking um being curious was inquisitive nature um being vulnerable and authentic became real and accountable um being challenging and disrupting became expressive and challenging and being straight to the point and not playing the political game became direct and transparent. Mm. 
And that spells the acronym FIRED. And those five qualities, I started to then dig in deeper to say, well, how did I demonstrate fresh thinking in this example? And then I, I would go into, you know, and break that down and, and have further data points. And, and again, this happened over, you know, I said four years I've been working on this, this project. And mm -hmm. this was a very time-consuming, self-reflective, painful, uh, ego-bruising uh, exercise. And for anyone listening out there, it's not easy. And so it, it, it became very clear to me what I had was the makings of a, a blueprint for something. So then I said, okay, well, what am I going to do with this? Because I want to help others. And by the way, for anyone listening, I want to make sure that we're not, when we talk about fired leaders, I'm not advocating on behalf of leaders that get fired for stealing out of the cookie jar or um, doing something unethical um, or asking you to do something unethical. I'm talking about leaders who, who show up as they've been recruited to show up for. So these five qualities were things that I was interviewed for to demonstrate throughout the process. I then get on board. I'm asked to demonstrate these things. Got, at this point, obviously, I didn't know that these were fired qualities. And then when I demonstrated them, the repercussions that I mentioned earlier happened in a lot more regularity as well. So I, I, wanted, to, I, I wanted to prevent this from happening. Again, I know that sounds utopic and ideal, and not just for myself, but I wanted I want all the leaders out there to, who have these qualities to be appreciated, acknowledged and developed accordingly as well. Like when we think about what the future needs, these qualities are really important. And I've looked at a lot of learning and development pathways and competency models and programs. They don't actually feature very prevalently in those programs. So mm -hmm. again, this started to widen my thinking, but I developed as a result of all that a framework and the framework for these five qualities consisted of things like defining the, the quality. Um, how does the quality typically look in an organization with its leaders? How, is it, how does it typically turn up? Um, what are the, the signs of it? Uh, how can it be misinterpreted? Um, what's the best way to hire for this quality? How do you coach someone with this quality? How do you develop them? Um, what are the types of questions you would ask a leader to evoke understanding this quality more and and what's the best way to work with this this leader who has these qualities so all of a sudden i've developed this framework um, with a philosophy underpinning it and then from that the the framework has led to me creating diagnostic assessments for each of the qualities mm -hmm. um, we're developing a learning program based on the qualities a coaching program and it all started from that you know quite literally sitting in a basement without any windows eating pizza playing ping pong and at analyzing like <laughs> hundreds of examples that I'd been fired for or, or that had contributed to my eventual exiting of the building as it were. And I started to look for the commonalities and, and, and I, it was just a, you know, um, an amazing exercise of self-discovery pain. And at the end of it, you know, a progressive picture on, on really something that's very distinct and new and counterintuitive for the future of leadership. Hmm. You know, when I imagine you now, I'm going to imagine you in your basement with the ping pong table up, having a Forrest Gump moment going, fire it again, fire it again, fire it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that's certainly one image. <laughs> yeah.
you know, I'm, I'm actually really interested in how, like, I think you've defined the framework for us a little bit. I'm interested in kind of how it applies and how you actually coach to this framework. How do you get people to start thinking in this new way? And when you talked about um, the evaluation of it, that type of thing, I'm really curious how you measure whether somebody is, has made the change to sort of embrace this model. Yeah, and and so I think the first thing is people leaders have to be open to this this way of um, thinking, this the, these qualities and how they show up, which which means uh, recruitment practices, hiring practices need to evolve to to see these qualities in different ways as well. And so I think that's the first thing to to you know that foundational structural institutional level. Um, in terms of leaders themselves, again we all know that leaders are more effective if their self-awareness is heightened. So for, for me, it's about having conversations with, with leaders about their styles, about how they turn up and almost um, audit the way that they, they, they appear as leaders. And I, in my book, I actually, um, I do a kind of a soup to nuts roadmap of all of the things that I believe that organizations need to do if they're interested in actually moving forward and putting this fired methodology and framework into their organizations and approaches to develop leaders um so so i think you know coaching let me just give an example uh, to, to answer your question around let's say fresh thinking right so i believe that innovation is the output of the ability to think in a fresh way right so if you google innovation you'll find millions of hits right and, and it's a buzzword we're all talking about that and but what fresh thinking is about is about setting the conditions for leaders to think and act differently. And so how does that manifest in an organization? Uh, well, I, I kind of created this concept of um, fired, fired labs. And so, you know, imagine leaders entering into these labs and let's say fresh thinking again, as the example, we want leaders to approach a problem and, and look at a solution we want them to take fresh thinking as the way, as the, as the guide for their thinking. And so fresh thinking in reality is questioning ideas. It's coming up with the unconventional. It's, it's not just accepting the first answer <clears throat> that you, you get. It's, you know, when all the statistics are pointing to this area, question those statistics as opposed to what a lot of leaders I see do, which is the groupthink mentality. So what I'm trying to say is to create the conditions for these qualities to be displayed. We have to have openness and self-awareness, but then getting people into these environments is actually it's living them, like living the qualities, practicing what they preach. And, and so in terms of measuring, let's say, fresh thinking, you know, I, I foresee a world and many think I'm quite utopic in this, uh, in just in the same way, I think we can measure toxicity amongst leaders and actually deny promotability based upon the level of toxicity that that leader displays. I mean, can you imagine that just as an offshoot glass door suddenly has a, <clears throat> you know, um, a metric that says the leaders in this organization are this level of toxic. Um, you know, can you imagine how, if that, that was the case, right? That would be an amazing thing for me because it would actually reduce um, toxic leadership in, in organizations. Never happen. It would never, ever happen. Well, <laughs> no way to measure I, it. You'd get sued. People would fight against it tooth and nail. 
I, I don't know, John. I, I have been on a few podcasts and uh, webinars recently where there's a quiet revolution happening. And, uh, and we can show you the cost of toxicity and toxic leadership on the economy. Like it's $223 billion in the US in the last five years is, has, been, has been squandered because of toxic leadership. But as an aside, I'm getting off the point there because I wanted but, to kind of... You know, just, just to draw up here, I've seen, I've seen a toxic leader cost an organization $100,000 in six months just, mm. just, because, just because of a personality, nothing more. It's like, hey, no yeah. surprise. <laughs> well, I, and I'm glad, you, I'm glad you said that because that almost, that's a segue into something in my book which actually answers the question about how do you measure fresh, like these qualities? Because... I, I refer to this individual as My Way Ray. And uh, My Way Ray shall be protected in terms of where he comes from, whether it's actually a, a man or what type of organization. But My Way Ray, essentially, I went in to help My Way Ray and uh, with a massive organizational transformation. And essentially, it was Ray's way or no way. And, and Ray had about 20 leaders around him. And they all provided different, like fresh thinking. They had they displayed fresh thinking with approaching this this particular transformation. But Ray would not listen, and so eventually, one by one, those leaders got phased out of conversations. They got siloed. They got discredited. Their emails weren't responded to. Um, priority meetings they were missed. Uh, they weren't invited to, and all of a sudden, their promotion became a challenge. And then what we have is them either exiting voluntarily or being dismissed. 20 people in like a space of a three-year period. If you calculate the cost of that, let's just say, you know, an annual salary of 100,000, 150,000 times by 20, that's a lot of money walking out your door. Mm -hmm. And so, and then you multiply that by the, the reality, which is at that level of leadership to replace every single leader is between 213 to 400% of their base salary. So now you multiply that, then you actually put the non-direct costs, financial costs in, mm -hmm. morale, impact on the team, the reputation, the, um, the impact to the employer. The, uh, the sheer churn of having to switch uh, your leadership teams over, like just the noise the, in the, the system. Yeah, yeah. The lack change, of focus. Oh, change it's just... exhaustion too. Nobody can do anything. They're just yeah. in this change loop all the time. Yeah. So, so as a way of, you know, um, bringing that back to the question of how to measure these qualities with 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 the leaders around my way, Ray, um, I, I was saying, well, how how many times are each of these leaders bringing new novel ideas to the equation? Right. So let's think about how, how they're being stimulated in their thinking. Um, what percentage of those ideas are sticking? Um, how are they being received by the people that are following them? And so quickly, you've got three different sources of metric there that you could use to actually generate information on the return on investment of of actually investing in that quality and developing that quality and then you look at you know from from concept to fruition how many of those ideas are, um, that are generated through the ability to create the conditions to think differently come through to being materialized so i guess what i'm what I'm, you know what i'm saying is um that we, we have a very clear pathway for, you know, allowing organizations to put in place these qualities, put in place criteria to, to measure how, how effective they are, and then use that data 
to make more evidence-based decision-making about how that organization and the strategy rolls out. Now, am I sitting here telling you that the FIRED methodology and framework has gone through thousands of hours of scientific validation, uh, scientific study and validation? No, because this is, this is pr pretty much a new concept. So this is another thing that I, you know, and I'm, I mean, we may be going off path here, but I think it's important to kind of just accept and acknowledge it is that we, we, in the world of leadership, we kind of have this idea, idea that um, unless it's been tested in, a, in a, a lab for thousands and thousands of hours, then it has no validity. And if that's the case, how does any new thoughtware and ideas come out? Mm. And also, I believe that a lot of the way that we have measured the effectiveness of leadership up until now is part of the problem. Is, is, is contributing to the actual broken system. Mm. So if no one's coming in and is brave enough to say, look, I know you're a, a Wharton School graduate or a Harvard scholar, but the data is out of date. Like, yes, it was valid 20 years ago, but for the way leadership is evolving now, there is no playbook, which means we need to take risks. We need to demonstrate fresh thinking. We need to be curious. We need to... We need to, you know, all these qualities that I advocate for, I, I, I believe that we need to start immersing them into the way that we develop future leaders. And that means it, it, my work is going to come up under scrutiny against these academic scholars. Great. I would love the debate. I'd love the discussion. And it's going to highlight the fact that there's, there's some self-styled gurus out there who've been propagating and continuing to profit from pushing their wares that they know are ineffective. I mean, just and just the bigger picture before we move on to the, uh, the next conversation is what I've mentioned, by the way, with, with, with that approach to leadership development is contributing uh, to, I think it's half a trillion dollars a year is spent on leadership development. Mm -hmm. And that number's rising. And when the largest survey of <clears throat> CEOs took place a few years ago by, I think it was the... Um, uh, Brandon, not Brandon Hall Group, but uh, DDI, um, they, they estimated that 14% of CEOs who were in charge of com commanding that leadership development programming believed that that leadership development was effective. And so that number is reducing every year. So we have a system where they increase spend an investment in leadership development going up, and then the effectiveness or perceived or actual of that programming is going down. So what I'm hearing in what you've just said is that the leadership development that we've had in the past was based on an old paradigm of how business took place and an old way. And I would offer, you know, I am thinking right now of um, Shawshank Redemption. And all I can hear is that line, they've been institutionalized. And so there's leaders yeah. that are institutionalized to their businesses. They've been in the same business for 30 years and, you know, we're expecting them to embrace innovation and fresh thinking. And I, I think it's ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous because how can you embrace fresh thinking inside of the same organization where what you've been rewarded for, for the last 30 years is actually just doing what you're told and mm -hmm. towing the party line. And so there's something about this being institutionalized to this old way of being where you could work at a job for 30 years and where you're rewarded and you're like, what you're up to is actually, you wanna get your retirement package so that you can exit that company with that 
big chunk of change and go live your life in whatever piece you're going to do that. And I'm not, there's no ill will here. I just don't believe for a second that in order for us to move forward as a society, that that's the paradigm that we're moving to. That old idea of you getting to stay there for 30 years is something we're all going to have to get over. Mm -hmm. Like that's how it appeals to me. Gosh, I sound rough on a Friday morning. (laughs) Um, I'm scared. But like, (laughs) but there's something about this institutionalized. We've been institutionalized into a way of thinking just the same as we've been institutionalized to just look to the Whartons and the Harvards and the whatevers. And I'm not saying that they're bad for our leadership development models because that's all we've ever known. And yet we say that what we want is innovation and we want, you know, that, you know, forward-looking, vulnerable leader who's going to be willing to take some risks and be really clear with us. And then it shows up in this highly institutionalized business. And everyone's Mm -hmm. like barfing all over it because they're like, oh my goodness. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm, by the way, Shawshank Redemption is a great movie, actually. A great, a great movie. And for me, that movie, um, it, it actually promotes the idea of hope and persistence. Mm. And mm-hmm. so, you know, as a way to answer that, you know, I think there was a question in there, what you said, you said, but I'm glad, I'm, I'm actually glad that it stirred up something in you because you're right. Like the, that we have entrenched institutionalized um, compliance focused approaches to the way that we've developed leaders. And, you know, I, if I was to say to you right now, and for anyone listening as well, it's that leaders for the majority are not actually engaged in the way they develop their leadership programs. Mm. They're not, they're not asked how, how do you Laura think that you can be a, the best leader in our organization? What development would you need? And in fact, Laura, how would you actually like to be measured in terms of the effectiveness of that programming? What's mm. the best modality for you to go and, and learn through? Do you like 60 minute bite-sized chunks? Do you like to go into a classroom for five days? I guess my point here with riffing like this is that we don't engage leaders actively in asking them what they want to lead. So we already take, you know, air quotes, tried and tested programs into an institutionalized environment because it worked 30 years ago, mm-hmm. roll out the same programming only to find that at the, at the break, you know, around the water cooler, when you ask these leaders how effective this programming is for them, they're saying, well, I'm not learning much. I'm checking my emails. I've got a, you know, a boatload of emails that are mounting up. This learning isn't going to be relevant to my day-to-day job. Why am I on it? It's optics. It's a tick box. Like I've done hundreds of leadership development programs in my career globally. And that is the predominant feeling and observation that I have talking to these leaders in the break time. And so, you know, the, the concept of something that I'm advocating for is new. It's not tested. It's counterintuitive. It flies in the face of traditional thinking. But I've got a news alert for everybody. We're not going back to the same way that it was. There is no playbook for the future. Leadership development must evolve. If it doesn't evolve, we will get higher turnover, voluntary and involuntary. We'll get more more money spent and wasted. And we'll get more organizations profiting from from you know learning and development <clears throat> that isn't really hitting the mark so how to address it i mean i, I was on a i was on a webinar the other day and there were seven thousand people on this webinar and it was talking about toxic leadership cultures and there was a quick poll done and 87 percent 
of people of that 7,000 when they were asked, had they, had they been in a toxic work culture? They said, yes. And so, you know, the backdrop of what we're talking about is that toxicity is on the rise. The leadership playbook is evolving. The organizations that are clinging to that institutionalized concept, they're dwindling. You know, two thirds of the organizations required for the next 15 years of economic growth globally haven't yet been developed. So think about that for a minute. The organizations that will fuel the future growth of our world don't exist yet. And therefore the leaders that will fuel the growth of those organizations that fuels the economic growth haven't even been identified yet. So we absolutely know that the current way of doing things doesn't work. So why would we force fit a broken model into an uncertain future? And, and you know, one of the things that this webinar talked about, which I, I relate to your point about institutionalized, was toxicity is in the walls. Like, and so until we address that as a, st a structural level, an organizational culture level, me going in and talking to leaders, um, it happened the other day, actually, um, in a law enforcement agency I was talking with and, and very senior individual, very nice guy said, yeah, we'd love to have you in. We need it. The organization isn't quite mature yet for it. So how do we evolve the organizations to get them thinking? So to, to apply the five qualities to organizations to get them seeing that they need to adapt. And, and that's partly what, what my work focuses on is that upfront piece is how to change the mindset of those that are still in the, it's still in the matrix. Mm. Um, but they know they've got a choice, take the blue or the red pill because the future's coming and, and the old ways just won't cut it anymore. You know, from that comment there, there was, there's lots of things that came out of it, but the one that, that I wrote down was toxicity is in the walls. Mm. And, you know, I've worked at a lot of organizations where it is, it's part of the fabric of the organization. It's almost like it's a subculture. It's like, yes, we say all these things as a part of our culture, but if something goes wrong, we're going to go on a witch hunt and we're going to find out who did it. We're going to find out what happened and we're going to make sure that we capture them. You can be focusing on the solution or you can be focusing on the witch hunt. And I've seen that in more organizations than I, than I haven't actually. It's more often, it happens more often than it doesn't. Mm. There's just these little pockets of toxicity that for some reason get away with it. Yeah. And, you know, we, I, and I put an article out the, uh, well, uh, uh, book and ebooks coming out in the next few weeks <clears throat> about toxic leadership cultures and how to address them and you know I, I break down the you know, the people in the organization they're either um they're either kind of like actively endorsing toxicity or they're quietly supportive and that mm -hmm. supportive by the way doesn't mean need to mean that they're they're they want toxicity but their behaviors are embedding toxicity oh they're, so, they're allowing it to continue even sometimes when yeah. they've been told about it it's like oh yeah he's did something that could be defined as toxic but he makes his deadlines and he's on budget every time mm -hmm. which which talks about the way that organizations are structured and the compliance approach to just getting things done is you know is changing as well because you know there's this whole advent of um self-managing organizations so a lot of the work by frederick Leloux and reinventing organizations talks about how we're, we're evolving our organizational structures from being more hierarchical and draconian and matrix oriented to flatter you know and kind of you know leaderless organizations um that that 
in and of themselves, and I'm be fascinated by this actually, uh, are a, supposed to be reducing organizational politics and toxicity. Now, I'd be very fascinated just as a, a longitudinal study over you know, 10, 20 years to, to determine whether those organizations that have adopted self-governing, self-managing principles, holacracy, all that kind of stuff, have actually reduced or eliminated politics and toxicity from the organization. Um, that remains to be seen. But we do know that, that those types of organizations are becoming more common. And as a result of that, purpose is becoming key to why I want to work with you. So you mentioned earlier, John, about values and, and values. For me, I'm also putting an article out about values in the next little while, which they are our bedrock. They're our foundation. They're our framework, our blueprint for how we see the world and how we show up. More and more organizations are recruiting based upon is there an alignment between this individual's values and purpose and the organizations and i think um ey um did a survey which which they i can't remember the statistic offhand i can provide it if necessary but that purpose is the is if you have a, an alignment between your individual and organization's purpose i think it's something like 90 percent of people will stay in your organization um and and so for me Harvard did a research study of high performance individuals and one in four intend to leave the organization within a year because their purpose does not match the organization's purpose. So this is a real issue. And, and this, is a, this, I believe, is the new currency. So to the point you made, Laura, about institutionalized and how do we change this kind of mindset in the future, these fluffy things that we've kind of, you know, had the laminate menus on the walls and the nice words that say we you know, we're transparent, we do good for the world, blah, blah, blah. The old guard hasn't really bought into that. Let's be honest. They, they just do their thing. They tick their boxes and then they take their checks and they go and retire on a beach. The new world, however, does take this stuff seriously. And so my, my suggestion is, well, what, what is, what are generation alphas who are the next generation after millennials, by the way, millennial leaders are now in our, our, our horizon to develop, but who's <laughs> thinking about developing generation alphas and how will they want to um, choose where they work? What, what will that be based on? hearing in this is that as society has the privilege to move towards self-actualization so if we look on Maslow's hierarchy of needs we have the privilege of moving to that space then purpose reasoning for being gets to be more prevalent like if you're just worried about survival back in the 1930s I'm going to say this was not a priority conversation for us to have and so we're in a place of like a societal evolution so that piece is like the backdrop that's going on for me in my mind right now and then I'm going okay so we've just come through you know a, a challenging year as a global environment and I'm I'm still witnessing some of the same old same old <laughs> and there's a part of me that's just going so if the last year hasn't taught you anything about the progression of where we need to go as leaders as an as an individuals as businesses like if if you're really the person that believes that every single thing that we ever ever do must be done face to face because that's just what you believe even now 12 months later when we've been working remotely and it's absolutely critical to our business that we're face to face 
Like those are the moments of frustration because I'm like, what will it take? That's a question for you, I guess. And maybe this is the one to end on. What will it take for people, leaders, um, people in the learning and development space to have some openness to this in society in general? Like what will it take to kind of create that spark of awareness that there actually is like a different way that we could approach it? Like, what are you hoping for? I've been described as an optimistic, idealistic, utopic person. Um, and I, I believe anything's possible. And so to, to engender that, um, you know, what will it take uh, for me? And my background is anthropology. So I've been fascinated by studying different cultures and why people do the things that they do and why do they show up how they show up. And it all comes back to self, doesn't it? And it's all, you know, we can have all these major macro influences outside of us and peer pressure and group think and all this. But if we, as, a, as an individual, if we are fundamentally on shaky foundation with our structure and our purpose individually, then we are most susceptible to being influenced. And, you know, if we have low levels of self-awareness, low levels of self-esteem, aren't clear on our values, aren't clear on our purpose and why we're here, then I don't think it's possible. Uh, you know, and I'm, I'm contradicting myself because I, I do believe it is possible. However, we've got to accept the reality that there will be a portion of people that need to get off the bus, you know, and they're, and they're walking, right? Cotter, John Cotter in his, you know, famous work around the eight steps to change, you know, says you've got to get rid of dead wood. Right. So if it's not serving you and you can't coach, because by the way, about 90% of toxic leaders are not coachable. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. get them out. Can't of the tell them anything. They yeah. already know it all. Exactly. Get, get them out of the organization, right? Do whatever yeah. you need to do sideways, move them, demote them. I don't care. Let's think about the bigger picture here and the organization that, that we're serving. And, and, and so for me, what it will take is, individuals need to be aware need to be open to being to having those conversations now you can read all the books you want but unless you actually have that conversation with yourself and are honest nothing will change like you know as a as a kind of anecdotally um you know i i was doing some a lot of research for my book and you know part of the research i looked at in terms of peer-reviewed materials was around the concept of organizational politics and Every piece of research started or ended by saying things like, it's a shame that we have to buy into this system of co corporate politics when we have such disdain for it. Now, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially, you know, 20, 30 pieces of research in the area of politics, that's what they, they were characterized by. And these were all like, you know, Ivy, Wharton, Harvard, you name it. Right? And my question is, why do we why do we have to accept it we get to choose how we show up right so my litmus test is if i get up in the morning and i can look in the mirror and i say you know i say to myself i'm condoning a system that is broken do i want to do that i get to play the game every day or not by the way playing the game leads to things like stress related diseases stomach ulcers marriage breakdown 
all sorts of things, right? It, it also so, leads to paychecks too. So it leads to paychecks, <laughs> but 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 it's like what what do you trade that off? Do you trade mm. your like, I'm going to spend like my way, Ray. I'm going to spend my career putting other people down because I'm important and I you know I'm I'm going to get that paycheck. At the end of the day, I'm going to retire and I'm going to spend most of that retirement savings on treating my health because of, that I've neglected for my entire career. I don't know about you guys, but that's not a life that I want to have so so you know and, and just to finish that anecdote is is at the end of the day as i go to bed and look in the mirror did i do everything that that was aligned with my purpose that day you know and where did i sell out where did i compromise where did i do things that kind of made my spidey senses stand up and i just didn't feel comfortable because you know, when you feel that and then you ignore it that's a sign that you're complicit in the system whether it be for a paycheck john or whether it be for that that promotion or that coveted office or virtual office now, you know, but we get a choice every single day. And so for me, what it will take is to, to have the openness and the honesty, self-honesty to have that conversation. Yep. And, you know, I honestly believe that the high road is the hard road. Um, being able to sleep at night sometimes means making the tough decisions. I appreciate having a framework to be able to guide it. So um, I would like to thank you for your time today, Paul. It was very educational and informative. Yeah. And I'm really grateful for this conversation for a couple of reasons. One, because it's now I have a request. There's a request that goes with this. I need you to record the book on Audible because that's the only way that I read books these days because I just spent like an inordinate (laughs) amount of time in my car. So if you could help a girl out with that, that'd be great. Um, Because I really do want to basically devour all of this. And I'm curious to look at myself through this lens. But I think it's also a sign of hope because I think more and more people are starting to really notice the difference between the values they live and the values they talk about. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you're really pointing to is there's a, a significant focus in what I heard you share this morning on our ability to look inward, pay attention to how we are being in the world, how we're behaving and go, so if this is what we say we value, how does that actually show up? Yeah, and I just, I want to say thank you for bringing that because I'm, I'm in a very reflective place and now I'm going to go into a whole bunch of other activities carrying around this conversation and it's going to make me look. So, you know, it's already making a difference for me. Thank you. Well, thank you, Laura, for saying that and, and John for, for, for this conversation as well. I think, you know, it, it, we're trying to build an ecosystem here of, of people that are aware of, of what the future needs and the role that they want to play in it. So anyone that, that benefits in any way from the work that we're doing in fired leadership, I think it, you know, it's contributing to the, to the, the evolution of it. And, and personally, it's very humbling for me because as I said at the beginning, my intention wasn't to do anything in this area. I wanted to be the leader that fitted in. I just couldn't, just couldn't be complicit with a broken system. And I was fed up of my colleagues coming to me and, and crying, quite literally crying, saying, well, I'm overworked, I'm burnt out, and there's, mm. there's got to be a better way to run our organizations, hasn't there? You know, and then not being able to talk about that, I just couldn't do it. So, yeah, personally, it's my quest, and, and it may make me, you know, a hot potato in the sense that people don't want to be associated with me, but they're the wrong people then, aren't they? Uh, you know, yeah. there's, there's a growing tribe and there's a growing need for this stuff. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to share my views and, and have a stimulating discussion. So I really appreciate it. Sir Knight, I wish you well on your quest. 
<laughs> and I thank you for being a part of our Learning Value podcast today. And you've certainly given us lots to think about. Um, Laura, final thoughts? Thanks, everyone, for being here. If you want to find out more about the Fired Leader, feel free to look him up. We'll have information available for you on the website, but definitely appreciate you taking the time to listen today, Paul. It was a pleasure. The conversations before the conversation this morning and this one. I hope everyone has a fabulous day. Thanks a lot.